This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Good morning. Our sermon text this morning comes from the book of Haggai. We'll be beginning the book of Haggai reading chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, but we will begin with a New Testament passage in Matthew 6. It helps to shine some light on our Haggai passage. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And now for our sermon text in Haggai, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. It is a time for you yourselves to, excuse me, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, or on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors." Good morning. If you just have your Bibles there still open to Haggai, that is the passage we are looking at this morning. As we come to our text and as we look at yet a second book, the book of Haggai, if you still haven't found it, it's 1,005 in your pew Bible. Um, And it's a small book. There's some things you probably are unaware of it, but it's only two short chapters. It's the shortest book in 
the Old Testament. 38 verses is what is contained here in this short book. And as I was looking at this passage, one of the things that rang in my ears is a quote from Gary Thomas. Gary Thomas, in his book, The Sacred Marriage, says this about marriage. He says, marriage is not simply to make you happy, but to make you holy. Let me say that again. Marriage is not simply to make you happy. That's the Hollywood version. But the purpose is to make you holy. See, in marriage, we're blessed with having someone now who knows us well and can always share the things we do wrong. <laughs> right? And, and that's, that's a good thing. I mean, think about it in a Christian context. In a Christian marriage, we always have someone who's, who's helping us to pursue the highest and chief good. They're pushing us forward. They're, they're, they're launching us in the right direction. Friends, that's the purpose of the church. That the church would be about the highest and chief good, which is the glory of God. And the assembly together comes together. We worship together, pushing each other on in that chief good. Well, as I've stated, uh, Haggai is a short book. It's one of the minor prophets. But to get a real sense of Haggai and how he's pushing the people of God forward towards that chief good, we need to kind of take a moment and look back. If you remember, we covered Zephaniah. Zephaniah, what is known as a pre-exilic book. It was before the people were taken into exile. We read in Zephaniah how God would warn the people against their disobedience and told them they have an impending judgment. Judah would experience, however, um, some types of reform under King Josiah. King Josiah, if you remember, was the one who found the book of Deuteronomy and he saw the blessings and the cursings and his heart was pierced and he was pushing the people towards what is highest good, which is the worship of God. However, the people hardened their hearts. And with disregard, they began to ignore prophet Zephaniah's warnings. They ignored the example of their northern relatives who were already taken into exile because of their disobedience. And God, therefore, would punish them through a Gentile power known as Babylon, and the people would be sent into exile. And yet all along, God would be faithful to his people, and God would be faithful to his promises. Well, in exile, it's true their homes were destroyed, their families were torn apart, and even the temple itself was destroyed in 586 B.C., but even during this discipline, God shows his care for his people. We see people like Daniel advanced into leadership. We see Nehemiah get the opportunity to serve as the royal cupbearer. Or how about Esther, who becomes queen? These are all examples of God's care for his people while they were in exile. And then we come to the book Haggai. God had been silent and now was speaking yet again in a glorious way to his people. And here he is speaking of the call to rebuild the temple. See, the people had been brought back under King Cyrus. King Cyrus is known in Isaiah as the suffering servant, the one who would bring the people back. He's a foreshadow or a picture of Jesus, the true suffering servant who would die on the cross. 
But Cyrus would let the people go back because his heart would be stirred by God according to the book of Ezra. And he sends the people back, yet not all of the people went back. Many of them preferred to stay in exile in the foreign land. But those who did go back were a remnant, and they returned home. And we would experience at this point in the story, everything ends with a happy smile. Friends, that's not the story. See, this faithful remnant wasn't always faithful. They do not fulfill their task. They do not pursue the ultimate good right away. After 70 years of being in exile, they're sent back. And you can imagine as they go back, they go back with cheers and excitement. They begin to lay the foundation of the temple with all of the resources that they had at their fingertips. But then they began to get distracted for various reasons. And for some 15 years, that foundation of the temple laid barren, undone, unfinished. And that's when Haggai enters the story. Haggai's job is to point the people back to the chief good. Friends, to understand this passage, we must understand this simple point. As a man by the name of William Ames, he lived in 1576 to 1633. He captures it well. William Ames says this, The highest good should always be sought. That's the purpose of the Christian life. That the highest good should always be sought. In verse 4, we see the problem. Look at verse 4. The question is, is it a time for yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while the house of the Lord, his house, lies in ruin? Is this acceptable? Is this the way things should be? Have you truly been seeking the highest good? William Ames goes on as he explains this about the highest good. He says, for in that good is contained the confluence or the meeting of all other desirable goods. When you truly are pursuing the highest good, guess what? A bunch of other goods also take place. Isn't that, after all, what Matthew 6, 33 says? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Notice, the highest good. And guess what will happen? And all these things will be added unto you. All these other goods will take place. Let me give you an illustration this morning. Let's all pretend it's Saturday morning and you're with your children or your grandchildren. They're, they're playing and everyone's having fun. And then you, as a parent or grandparent, you ask them to do a few chores this morning. But they continue to play. They continue to ignore your command. So as a good parent or a good grandparent, you graciously say to them again, you need to do your chores. But they ignore you. And so you punish them. And then eventually you send them back after the punishment to fulfill your original command. But rather than obey you, they go on continuing to fool around. What would take place? <laughs> Let me tell you, in my house, more severe punishment. After all, that's what I experienced and learned as a child. You do the will of your father. Now let me ask you this. Is it wrong for children to play? No. It's right that children should play. 
In fact, that's why we have our labor laws today. When they used to take children from the homes and, and get them into the workforce at very young ages, we recognize that children need to play. It's not wrong for children to play. We'd actually say it's good for children to play. But here's the point. It's wrong to ignore the higher good. It's wrong to ignore the command of their parents or grandparents. See, in honoring their parents, they're actually honoring the Lord. But here's the point. If those children would have done what they were told in the first place, then the children could have gone back to playing, and at the same time, they would have brought joy to their parents. Amen? But here's the problem. They didn't. They continued to play. They continued to ignore their parents, and therefore they brought only sorrow. That's the problem in our text. They were not pursuing the highest good. Look at verses four or 2 through 4, and then verse 8. It says this, These people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Go up to the hills, in verse 8 he says, and bring wood and build a house. Notice this, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. The goal, the highest good, the purpose, is that God would be glorified. And notice this, in verse 1 it says, this came as a word from the Lord. It came from the hand of the prophet Haggai to the governor of Judah. This was God telling them, pursue the highest good. So I ask you this morning, where do we need adjusting in our lives that we're truly seeking the highest good? What needs to be turned over and changed in the way that we live out our lives in the pursuit of of the highest good. Let's go back to the story. They returned for a reason. The remnant was returned for a reason. That reason was the glory of God. Now, you don't have it in front of you, but just listen or look on the screen to Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. This is the actual story of them going back. This is what we read. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of earth, and he has charged me to build a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. This is Cyrus talking about God stirring in his heart. He goes on to say, Whoever among all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. This is a pagan Gentile king who's been moved by God, who's encouraging the people to go back and do what? To build the house of the Lord. To worship the Lord. The purpose of the return was the worship of the Lord. And when the exiles returned home, as I said previously, they came back with high hopes. They experienced the protection of Cyrus. They came back to a land of promise. But upon arriving, guess what? Life didn't go as planned. They experienced difficulties. How many of us experienced difficulties this morning? Just getting to church. 
The difficulties, of the alarm didn't go off, or the tire was low, or the dog did something in the house it shouldn't have. All the things that slow down the progression of what we intended to do. But ultimately, one of the things was that the people lost their focus. They mixed up their priorities. See, after laying the foundation of the temple, they deserted the work. In chapters 3 and 4 of Ezra, we're told why. There was difficulty. There were enemies. There were adversaries who came and, and worked against them. But that wasn't all of it. Actually, Hezekiah gives us a different picture, a picture that they were more consumed with their own advancement, their own pleasure, their own priorities, than the priority of God, the highest good. Look at verse 6. He says in verse 6, You have sown much, but you harvest little. They're, They're going through a difficult time. They're they're walking into a time when things are not going as planned. It's a drought. And they begin to scratch their heads and they begin to say, well, we just need to work harder. So as you continue to read in verse 6 what they do, it says, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never will have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. All these things you do, but you're not fulfilled. You're not satisfied. How many of us can say that's been our experience? But the people were not pursuing the chief and the highest good. And that's the reason that they lacked. Look at what kind of book ends, verse 6. Go back to verse 5. What do you see? The Lord of hosts says, consider your ways. Drop down to verse 7. What does it say? The Lord of hosts says, Consider your ways. The Lord is saying, wake up. Your priorities are wrong. You're not pursuing what's most important. Remember that quote from William Ames? In the good is contained the confluence or meeting of all desirable goods. So what are we to pursue? The glory of God. And guess what, church? As we pursue the glory of God, we also experience all the other goods that go with it. After all, isn't that what Romans 8, 28 says? And we know that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? Those are the two bookends there. Guess what? All things work together for good. To love God, to be called according to his purpose, to be doing what he's called us to do out of a heart for him. Guess what happens? All things work together for good. See, the remnant had been a slave for 70 years. 70 years of long labor. And now God has called them back home. Why did God call them back home? To rest. Not rest in their own selves, their own priorities, their own goals, but to find true Sabbath rest in Him. And so as a command, He commands them to build the temple. And what comes with this Sabbath rest? Worship and feasting and rest and mercy. These are all the displays of what it means to truly experience the Sabbath rest. And as the remnant comes home from intense labor into this rest, Judah ignores its purpose. It has wrong priorities. Rather than resting in God, 
rather than truly resting in the Sabbath of Jehovah, they're still living like the restless world that they once lived in. They were consumed with everyday life. And in all of their consumption of doing and doing and doing, guess what? It was to no avail. Go back to verse 6. In verse 6 it says, You've sown much, but you've harvested little. We begin to see the, the craziness of pursuing our own way. God summoned, according to the text, a drought to get his people attention. For this, I want you to see the context. We're going to read verses 5 through 11 so you can see the flow of God's argument against them. Beginning in verse 5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wage does so to put them into bags with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, and on the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man, and on beast, and on all their labors. See, it wasn't their toil that was going to make them successful or make them pursue what is ultimately the greatest for them. No, it was about the glory of God, something that they had neglected. We need to always remember, church, that good flows out of pursuing the chief good, the glory of God. But I ask you this morning, do you believe that? Are you truly believing that the chief good, the glory of God, will produce everything else? See, the way we express that is by truly honoring God with one day in seven. It doesn't make sense mathematically. Some countries have even tried to lengthen the work week to get more out of people, but they learn that it doesn't work. People become exhausted. The land dies. It doesn't work. There's built within us a true God-given need for rest. But as we honor that rest, guess what happens? God is honored and more good is experienced. Healthier families, healthier people, healthier lives better workforce, all these things because we did pursue the greatest good. So the problem with old Judah is our problem as well. As you see, this is a continued problem for them, but this is a continued problem for those who are even in the church today. It's easy for us to miss the purpose, to get our priorities out of whack. The restlessness of life, and we begin to think the doing of things is our highest purpose, all the while missing that the highest purpose is the glory of God. 
all the while missing the point that when we pursue God's glory, all other good flows from it. Church, how often this is a situation in our life. The pursuing of the relentless busyness of life that takes our attention away from our highest good, from truly resting in God. And by doing that, we lose all of the benefits that God provides in that rest. That's why their working was like putting their coins in bags with holes. That's why all of their working wasn't yielding. Church, I ask you this morning, do you feel that tension in your own life? The busyness, the restlessness, the working, the pursuing, all the while missing your highest chief good. The Sabbath is a place of rest. It's resting. It's feasting. It's worshiping. It's mercy. And that's exactly what we've been called to is the worship of God with all of our being. To worship Him is to redirect our attention away from the things of the world to focus on Him. To feast upon the truths of God's Word. That is the description of the table here that the church consumes together. The mercy as we reach out and care for our neighbors. The resting from all our unnecessary labors so that our eyes can be fixed on Him. The restlessness of life is always working against us. But the goal is to have our eyes, our hearts, and our lives focused on the chief good, the highest end. As our own shorter catechism says, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end or his primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Friend, I ask you this morning, are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you seeking God's glory above everything else? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 again says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And guess what? All these things will be added unto you. We need to ingrain that verse in our lives. For as that old Puritan William Ames said, For in the good is contained the confluence of all the other desirable goods we would pursue. So seek the highest good. Seek the glory of God. And you know what's absolutely amazing when you jump to the Gospels and consider this passage? We see that Jesus made this statement. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and what? And in three days I will rise it up again. See, we need to understand this, that Christ's body was destroyed by death, but after three days, it was raised up. See, the point is simple. Jesus is truly where we find our rest, for Jesus is truly the glory of God on display. And we need to make much of Jesus. Jesus needs to be our hunger, our desire, our greatest pursuit. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For everyone who enters God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Listen to verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Strive to pursue Christ. Strive to keep the highest and most important thing the important thing. Why? So that no one may fall 
by the same sort of disobedience. We don't want to be like the children of Judah who started out so well but easily got distracted. How true that could be for us in our own walks with the Lord. We started out so well, but we easily got distracted from the highest and the chief good. Friend, may we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and may all these things be added unto you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the encouragement of your word. We're thankful for the redirection that you give. We're thankful, Lord, for prophets like Haggai who tap on the shoulders of those whom he loves as he calls the people to repent. He calls them to follow and pursue the highest good, the worship of God. God, I pray that in those areas of our lives where we have turned to the left or turned to the right, that we would pursue Christ. May he be our chief love and greatest joy. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.